We're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28 this morning. This is regarding Jesus. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. One of the other gospels that tells this same story adds the detail that when the demon convulsed the man he did not hurt him that jesus just says be quiet and get so right here in mark chat the first chapter chapter one we have mark telling us of a confrontation between jesus and a demon it strikes me and i suppose some of you have thought this before and had maybe the same question is the bible never tells us what demons are or where they came from or it's like the people just understand that they're there and what they are and where they came from take the bible takes it for granted the new the new testament they're not really in the old testament much at all but then in the new testament all of a sudden nearly every day jesus is having to cast out demons and it's absolutely an indivisible part of his ministry everywhere he went he preached the gospel and and salvation and truth and he healed the sick and he cast out demons it is absolutely unremovable from the gospel from jesus's ministry the bible calls them demons or evil spirits unclean spirits lying spirits deceiving spirits tormenting spirits they're all the same thing and i'm just going to use the word demon from from here on out i think but jesus finds one in church in the synagogue it's there there's a man with a demon and and it cries out as he is preaching, and he says two things. Shut up and get out of here. It's it's just that simple. In fact, more than once, the gospel says, with a word, he casts out the demon. There's never a, a battle between Jesus and the demon. The demons can't even sass him. They literally are screaming, fleeing for their lives. Jesus, please don't hurt us. Don't send us to the pit. It's not our time yet. You can't do this. They're in terror of Jesus Christ. But it's never really explained where they come from. How did they originate? What are they? And I'm not going to tell you that today. I apologize. I told you three weeks ago it was going to be next week's sermon, but... I, the Lord won't let me go there. I just, I can't. So we will. Someday, we will. We'll. Some people just assume that the demons are the fallen angels, but that's completely unprovable biblically. It's not anywhere in Scripture. They're not the fallen angels that we've talked about three and four Sundays ago, the principalities. The principalities and the demons are, are different. Um, they're sometimes assumed to be the fallen angels, but nowhere in Scripture or any other source are they identified as that. There is proof, there is a source that tells us where they came from, but I'm not going there today. i just give you a little teaser preview of something coming later. So 
demons. They are beings. They are persons. And I don't mean human beings, but they're persons. They have a personality. They have, a, they have thoughts and they have emotions. The emotion they show is fear all the time of Jesus Christ. They are terrified. They're constantly crying out in his presence. But they're not just energy. They're not dark matter. They're not mental illness. They're beings. They're persons. They have a will and they have thoughts. They have emotions. They travel. They obey Jesus and other believers. They have supernatural strength in Mark 5 and Matthew 8 is the story of the man that couldn't be chained. No matter how much they chained him, he just snapped chains. Um, Acts 19 is where one demonized man chases out seven other guys, bloody and beat up. That's not mental illness. It's one of the favorite explanations of the world and a lot of carnal Christians to say that, well, that the demons in the New Testament are just the ancient world's explanation for mental illness. Now, mental illness doesn't talk to Jesus and doesn't leave people when he commands it, and it can't be transferred to a bunch of pigs. And The pigs did go crazy when they, when they went in them, but the demons spoke to Jesus, and they spoke to Paul, and they left people when Jesus commanded. Jesus uh, didn't heal the demon-possessed. He cast the demon out of them. That's the language in the Bible. James 2.19 says the demons believe in God, and they prove that in the Gospels because they're always shouting out who Jesus is. For some reason in his presence they can't keep their mouth shut, even though it defeats their case. They knew who Jesus was. They're shouting out his testimony. That In Acts 19 we have the seven sons of Sceva who are traveling Jewish exorcists. They're basically like Jewish witch doctors who would go around and for money... If a family had somebody who was sick or demon, demonized, uh, they would pay these traveling exorcists to, to get rid of the malady or, or the evil, unclean spirit. And these, we don't know anything about where these seven brothers came from or what they were doing, or, but, but they decide one day, they're in front of a man with a, demon, with a demon spirit, and they said, we command you to go in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. The demon, speaking through the man's mouth, says, I know who Jesus is, and I know who Paul is, but I don't know you. And he commences to thrash all seven of them. Now, it could be that the man knew who Paul and Jesus was, but the Bible says the spirit said that. It's not mental illness. The spirit is aware. It has consciousness and personality. You with me? The Bible says they intentionally lie, which means they know the truth and they're strategizing about how to deceive you. That's thought. I'm not saying that mental illness doesn't exist. I'm just saying the demons are not mental illness. It's not the same thing. The Bible tells us that they teach in the church through false teachers. There is absolutely nothing good about them. I have some stories and Pastor Josh maybe has even more stories than me. And I know lots of testimonies. I know some of your stories. And you've had some experiences. Just this week, a man in the church texted me uh, about an encounter he had in the night that was demonic. And I know you've seen movies and you've played video games and you've read books about demons and stuff. And I know you've heard some wild stories and you've seen some wild things on the screen 
but I have to stick to the Bible. All right? I'm not saying that your testimonies or the stories people have told you are not valid or that they aren't believable. I'm just saying as we lay a foundation today, I have to stick to the Word of God. Okay? I have stories too that I would love to tell you, but I'm not going to. Just because I'm just going to present what Scripture says. So the first thing we need to tackle is how a demon works in a person's life. And normally in English that gets called demon possession, but you need to know that's not the Bible word. Um, Possession as in robotic control, as in the spirit inhabits the person's body and makes them do things in a complete control way. That sort of definition in English, that connotation, doesn't exist in the Bible. The, the Greek word in the New Testament is diamon. It's where we get the word demon, and it means uh, a lesser rank of spirit gods that the Greeks believed in. And it's been turned into the word English word demon. And the word there in Greek is demonization, not demon possession. The person is demonized. They're influenced by a spirit, by an unclean spirit. And that seems to have, in Scripture, various levels of influence. There's the man who lives in the graveyard and howls at the moon all night and scrapes himself with broken pots and can't be handcuffed. He's really thoroughly demonized. But then in other people, it shows up as seizures. Or one guy just can't speak. Uh, Another guy is blind. Another one, the the demon throws the man's child in the fire and or the water trying to burn him or drown him. So sometimes it just shows up as a physical ailment and other times it shows up as what we would call madness or insanity, uh, supernatural activity and so on. So demonization is the more accurate word. Demon influence would be from Hollywood, you can kind of get the idea that you're either possessed or you're not. But the Bible doesn't say that. There's lots of different variety or variation to the amount of influence a demon has over somebody's mind or body. So what is that? What is, what is demonization as opposed to regular physical sickness or your own sin or just life in a fallen world? Because we can't blame everything on the devil and everybody said... Amen. Okay, but there are demons. They're real. What does that look like compared to our own sin, our own problems, and just life in a broken world? Well, if you or somebody you know is tormented by a temptation to sin, you have a compulsion to a particular sin habit that even though you hate it and you know it's going to ruin your life, you do it anyway. And you have confessed and repented and cried and beat yourself up for years and you can't stop whether that's lust or temper or alcohol or whatever it may be you are likely dealing with a spirit tormenting temptation the kid that shot up the parkland florida school last year said the voices in my head told me to do it and everybody judges him as crazy. I say he's not crazy at all. He's dealing with real voices. Yeah, they're interior in his head, but they are exterior to his personality. And he's being tormented by voices to kill, to murder. Many criminals talk about 
an uncontrollable urge, a desire to commit hideous things that they hated, but they couldn't turn it off. Debilitating thoughts and beliefs, accusations in your own head. You might be dealing with a spirit, depression, fear like social anxiety, crippling self-hatred, suicidal thoughts. I know it's a rare thing, but people do survive suicide attempts once in a while. And I have come across some testimonies of people who've survived suicide. And they said, before I actually jumped, I absolutely couldn't shut off the thought I needed to die. I deserve to die. No one loves me. Everybody hates me. I have no future. I have no reason to live. And as soon as my feet left the bridge... I was terrified. I didn't want to die. I called out to God. They lived to tell about it. And almost without exception, they say, as soon as I actually took action, the voices shut off. And I was terrified. I didn't want it at all. Because it's not them. It's a spirit. You're dealing with torment from a demon. Any, Any emotion... Or thought that is crippling you. Tormenting emotions that you know are wrong or irrational. It's severe emotional pain. The Bible only mentions cutting once. But the guy that's doing the cutting is demonized. If you or somebody you know is cutting themselves. There's some really severe pain there. And it's demonic. People who enjoy receiving pain or inflicting pain. That's not a fetish. That's a demon from hell it's not anything to joke around with if you're tormented by visions or voices if you have unexplained or undiagnosable ailments in matthew 9 it's an inability to speak in matthew 12 it's blindness in luke 8 it's insanity in mark 9 it's frequent recurring accidents or injuries in luke 13 it's various physical defects and deformities Certainly not all, but some chronic repetitive health problems are spiritual. They're not physical, especially if you see it running in your family. If you're terrorized in dreams, if you have any unbiological sexual temptation or attraction or interest, and by biological I mean adult man for adult woman, anything else is demonic. God created adult sexual attraction it is biological and within his holy boundaries it's beautiful and good everything else is evil any other attraction or interest is demonic supernatural activity in your life that is not holy is a demon now present the exact opposite side i want to remind you that we're not going to be a one-string banjo church remember when i brought my banjo up here and i I told you that the dick iverson's dad a pastor in portland years ago what he said my dad was a one-string banjo our church was deliverance tabernacle every single meeting was we're going to cast out demons out of everybody if you went to him for counsel it was just well you got an evil spirit and we're going to cast it out he said we're not going to be a one-string banjo church okay we understand not everything is a demon Probably your biggest problem is yourself. Probably the biggest root of your problems is your own wickedness. Everybody say my own sin is my biggest problem. 
ultimately, you can never blame anything you do or say on the devil. Never. End of sentence, period. The demons can try to get you to feel things and so that you will do things, but we are the ones who will stand before God and answer for our words and our actions. Hello? Right? Our own sin is our own problem, no matter how tempted we were to do it. We gave in. It's my fault. It's my problem. It's my mouth. It's my attitude. It's my temper. Okay, so we're not going to blame everything on a demon. Our own wickedness, our own sin is ultimately our own problem. But other things can look like some pretty crazy stuff. You can have some really, really strong emotional reactions. Hormones sometimes can... (laughs) Look like somebody's demon possessed. Ooh. We'll just leave that one right there. Uh, allergies and even nutritional deficiencies. Sarah and I heard a testimony once of a woman who sat cross-legged in the corner of a room in her house and banged her head on the wall non-stop. And her family took her to all sorts of various treatments psychological and medical and I assume spiritual and I don't know a naturopath put her on some astronomical amount of niacin niacin is one of the B vitamins some astronomical amount and within days she is at the table eating dinner with them perfectly normal and conversational perfectly healthy but the amount of B vitamin that she was on was so big some doctor scared her adult daughter that you're overdosing your mom. So they took her off of it, and within two or three days, she's back to banging her head on the wall nonstop. Now, you would think that's maybe demonic, but it was a vitamin. My point here is we, we do not know except what the Holy Spirit tells us. We cannot assume we understand anything spiritual. We have to follow the word of the Lord, the leading of the Spirit. People in this church have hurt people deeply, by telling them they had a demon when they didn't. We're not going demon hunting, but we're not going to deny that they're real either. It may be the cause, and you need to honestly address it, but it may be something else. It could be emotions, it could be hormones, it could be allergies or deficiencies. There is mental illness. Uh, But a lot of what the world calls mental illness is just them putting a label on something they don't understand. I've seen in person and on video and in ministry, I have seen mad people. They're crazy. But they're not like hair on the back of your neck, stand up, evil. They're just lunatic. But I have an, I've told you before, I have an uncle who's been diagnosed as bipolar by a psychologist, but the psychologist does not know what he's talking about. My uncle is demon possessed. He's crazy. But he's not out of touch with reality. He is intentionally wicked to my aunt and my cousins, his kids. He's destroying their lives on purpose, and it is super intentional and super sinister. He's not crazy. It's demonic. Do you understand the difference? Uh, Some people just have weak minds. I, I heard a kid say once that he said, I cannot concentrate, I cannot think i cannot control my mind except by doing math equations out loud so all day he goes around mumbling calculus just to be able to control his mind 
to keep his mind in sanity. He's not demonized. It's something's wrong with the wiring there and his consciousness. You know, there's brain injury that makes people do terribly wicked things that I don't think they're accountable for at all because they've had either chemical or physical brain damage. And they do and say things that sound pretty evil, but it's not demonic. So, demons exist, and they torment people, and they are the source of a lot of your problems. But they are not the cause and the blame of everything that happens in your life. You hear that? Yes, we're not going to be one-string banjo Christians and just blame everything on the devil. Well, we would like to. It would be really easy to get ourselves off the hook. Some people want to be demon hunters. It makes them feel important. Jesus did not hunt demons. He only addressed the ones that spoke up. Never did Jesus go hunt a demon. Only the ones that shouted out in front of him or lots of times through the Gospels, the family members and friends would bring those afflicted by unclean spirits to Jesus. And he dealt with them. But he didn't go assume that everything was a demon and try to dig them up and was banging people on the forehead. There's not drama around Jesus. Not people levitating and heads spinning and blood coming out of their eyes and he's, he's banging their forehead and, and shouting at the demon. It's, shut up and leave! It's that easy. That's what he says nearly every time. With a word, he cast out the spirit. Go! So, some of you have seen some movies you shouldn't have seen. And it's given you some ideas about what this stuff looks like. Others of you have been in some churches or seen some YouTube videos of what gets called deliverance in the church. And it's highly dramatized for the audience. It's spiritual warfare. Jesus just says, shut up and go. Jesus has all authority. He says, be quiet, and he commands them out with a word. There is no patience. He gives them no space, no tolerance at all. Shut up and leave. And they go immediately. And then Jesus says, I give you the same authority. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Every time Jesus sends disciples out in the Great Commission and otherwise, he includes cast out demons in the instruction. It's inseparable from the gospel. I don't like preaching this sermon this morning. I, I don't like that particular kind of ministry. I don't enjoy dealing with that stuff. But it is absolutely inseparable from the gospel. It's a command that Jesus told us to set people free. It's as important as eternal salvation and physical healing is freedom from tormenting spirits. Amen. I'll amen myself. All right. So he sends them out and says, cast out demons and heal the sick. And then they go and this is what happens. Mark 6, 12 and 13. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil though many who were sick and healed them. How many demons did the disciples cast out? Many, many. Yeah. So then they come back to Jesus in Luke 10, 17 to 20. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The disciples come back all excited. Jesus, it actually worked. We told the spirits to go and they left. And Jesus is happy, but he isn't impressed. Like, eh, well, that's, yeah, that's what happens in my kingdom. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Don't be too excited that you have spiritual authority. Be happy that your name is written in the book of life. That matters much more. Amen. And then he tells them one more time to go. Mark 16. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Amen. Yea, Jesus. So three Sundays ago and four Sundays ago, I talked to you about the principalities, the fallen angels. And three Sundays ago, I told you the way to defeat them in our wrestling match. First Corinthians says we wrestle with principalities and powers. We never, ever wrestle with demons. They're not the same thing. Three Sundays ago, I told you how to wrestle with the principalities. It is Jesus defeated death by dying. We give up our lives. We defeat darkness without hurting the people around us. If you weren't here three Sundays ago, please go online and listen to that. I think it's the top five most important sermons I've, I've ever preached to you. It's a really, really important message that we give up our lives to defeat darkness without hurting those around us. How do we wrestle with, not with flesh and blood, but with demons, Jesus never, ever, there's not a wrestling match at all. He didn't die to defeat demons. He just orders them to go. He gives them no space, no tolerance whatsoever. He did not give us authority over principalities. He gave us all authority over demons. We don't command angels and principalities, but we can command demons. Jesus said to. We cast them out. So there's no patience. There's no struggle. There's no drama. It's just be quiet and come out. That's it. So in the church that gets called deliverance ministry or in the Catholic church, it's called exorcism. And there are professional exorcist priests. Actually, there's 200 just in the United States alone. And they have so much work to do, the Catholic Church is trying to recruit 100 more. Because of people calling the Catholic Church asking for exorcisms. In the Pentecostal and Charismatic Church, it gets called deliverance ministry. The goal is the same, we hope, to get people free from tormenting spirits and then there's a whole big chunk of the church that just acts like they don't exist anymore it's just well that was mental illness or or jesus dealt with them all and so we don't have to do that now and we'll just they just go along with the world and chemically lobotomizing everyone who's got a problem and just stuff them away and forget they exist that isn't love love is confrontational Love puts up a fight to set you free. So, first thing I need you to know about deliverance ministry is that it ain't Hollywood. Okay, nobody's head is spinning. It's not blood coming out of people's eyes. No one's levitating. You shouldn't have seen those movies. For any reason. And I haven't. I just, I just know. <sighs> That is those spirits trying to make you scared of themselves. 
Like, if you address us, this will happen to you. But you read the Gospels, and Jesus shows it is very black and white, cut and dried. This is just it. Just be quiet and leave. Sometimes it is a lengthy process for us, because we're not Jesus. We have Jesus' authority, but we are attaining to that. So, with Catholic exorcisms or Pentecostal deliverance or however it gets named and called, a lot of times it is a, a process. Uh because a lot of it depends on how free the person wants to be. A, a lot depends on, does this person really want to give up their lies and their sin? Do they want to renounce the reason that the demon got access in the first place? Usually, I think people do want to be free, but there are some people that don't. They're, they're just not interested in changing or repenting or coming to Jesus. They don't like their problems, but they don't want to come to Jesus and be disciples of him. So sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it can be quick and easy. I'm trying to stay away from stories. I just need to stick to scripture. It's, but with us, it's a, it's a process. There is no system in scripture. There is no method. It's not magical words that you say, and you have to repeat them exactly. There's a reason why the Bible doesn't tell us it says, with a word, Jesus cast them out. It doesn't tell us what that word is because we can't make a law out of it. We have to follow the Holy Spirit in every individual situation. It's got to be done with love and compassion. Jesus did everything he did with love and compassion. But in the name of Jesus, we are to cast out unclean spirits. Jesus gave us the power of attorney. He made us ambassadors in his kingdom. You have my name and my authority Use it to set people free. A few of you are nodding. Yeah, we have power of attorney in the kingdom. We do. We are, we are ambassadors. That's what the word apostles means. We're ambassadors. And so, how do we do that? I want to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity in the obedience of Christ. So this verse and the other one about we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Those are the two verses about spiritual warfare that everybody likes to teach on and talk about. Paul says, all right, we are in a battle and we are not in a physical, earthly Uh, fleshly battle our weapons are not carnal that means fleshly we are our weapons are spiritual and they are mighty in god for the pulling down of strongholds i want to take you all the way back to like march back in the spring i told you about strongholds the word stronghold means a fort or a castle right and i i told you at that time well i'm getting ahead of myself paul says our battle is to pull down forts Well, what are those forts that we are pulling down? We're not out there with a battering ram trying to bust down a castle door. But that's what Paul says we're doing in the Spirit. What is that? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity. What are the strongholds? It's people's thoughts and their knowledge and their arguments that we use right here to justify how we're living and that we fortify ourselves with excuses. Why my sin is okay. 
why God loves me even though I'm doing such and such, or why I don't really have to forgive my ex because God understands that he really, really hurt me. Or I, I know I probably shouldn't be doing this, but there's this reason and, this, and we fortify ourselves with excuses and thoughts and beliefs. And Paul says spiritual warfare is taking a Bible battering ram to your excuses. Because guess what lives in that fort? The demons in your life live behind the walls that you have built to excuse yourself for your temper or your alcohol or your sexual habits or whatever it is that you are excusing. Paul says spiritual warfare is pulling down strongholds. Paul says, I am busting up forts. And where are those forts? They are your arguments. They are your knowledge against God. And I'm bringing every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. That's spiritual warfare. It's a good thing God gave me a hard forehead because... What, I'm, what Paul is doing when he's writing and preaching, what I'm doing when I'm preaching is I am assaulting the lies that you believe with the Word of God to break down the door so that Jesus can come in and the demon flees for his life. There's never a contest when the demon knows who Jesus is, that Jesus is in the room. But as long as you fortify yourself against Jesus and the word of God and there's a reason why I do this and I'm excused from doing this and God understands why I don't obey in that area and he and he loves me even though I'm still hiding this sin you fortify yourself against Jesus and you provide a home for some very ugly evil spirits to torment you I told you at that time, and I told you years ago about a dream I had. A man and a woman wanted to kill a man, and their weapon was a helmet. It looked like a motorcycle helmet, but it was a skull, and it was alive. And the man they wanted to kill came up the stairs into the room, and they slammed this helmet down on his head. And inside the helmet, blades came out into his skull and turned on like a blender, and they blended his brain. But he never felt a thing. He didn't know anything happened. He just smiled and went back down the stairs. And the man and the woman who tried to kill him were very happy. They had succeeded. They did their job. They had destroyed him. Well, what was that? It was an idea. It was a belief that they locked onto his head. And it was going to ruin his life. It was fortifying his thinking against God. You see it? Paul says... Spiritual warfare against demons and not out demon hunting. It is destroying the lies that you believe that are giving the thing access in the first place. Because the thing will run for its life screaming in terror when Jesus shows up in your heart if you'll just open the door and let him in. So we're preaching truth. We're breaking lies. We're bringing down the walls. Paul says, casting down the arguments. We are smashing the walls of all your arguments about why you don't have to obey God or why you shouldn't have to do this or that. And when we bring those down, the demon flees. My job is to close the holes of sin in your life where the demon got access in the first place. You've got to stop excusing sin. 
there's an entry point in your life. There's a hole. It's either sin or it's an unhealed wound. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. So Paul's word is casting down strongholds and or pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments. He uses arguments and logic, and the word is rhetoric and logic there. I'm going to say the witchcraft of ideas, the sorcery of beliefs, is what takes people's mind captive. I want to show you how how. Paul presents what demons do. I want to show you how he, how it's thoughts and beliefs and how non-Hollywood this is. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines, that means teachings, the teachings of demons. So what are the demons teaching that it's going to deceive the people in the end times? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So Paul says there are, in the latter days there are going to be demons. The teach, demons are going to be teaching through false teachers in the church. And what are they teaching? Well, they're lying and they're hypocrites, the false teachers are, and they have no conscience. Their conscience has been cooked. But what are they teaching? They're teaching that people shouldn't get married and there's still foods that we're not allowed to eat. Do you see how non-paranormal activity too that is? I told you the devil doesn't come as a goat man drinking blood. He comes as the angel of light. Demons in the church, what do they do? They're there to make people religious. There's a whole huge chunk of the worldwide Christian church that forbids their ministers to marry and we are now seeing the hideous heartbreaking evil of that because of the type of man that the priesthood attracts there's several different church groups that say yeah we still have to abstain from the foods of the Old Testament Paul says that's the teaching of demons well what is that it's just it's dead religion it's legalism. It's making people religious, thinking they're pleasing God. Paul by no means intends for this to be a comprehensive list of what the demons are doing. It's just He's just pointing out a couple of different examples. Do you see this is not Hollywood drama? This is everyday life. And it's people's ideas, not poltergeist. It isn't Ghostbusters. It's, it's people's ideas that demons are locking onto their heads to ruin their lives. They're not coming to terrify you like a poltergeist. Although I don't deny that that happens. It's just, I want you to see how non-dramatic this is. The demon activity is everyday life in our very broken world. It's abnormal sexual attraction. It's abortion. It's anti-anxiety drugs. It's addiction to porn and alcoholism and it's meth and it's racism and feminism and divisive hatred of any kind really it's the spiritual coma that is religious complacency it's the pride of self-righteousness in the christian's heart it's the education system it's the medical system it's the entertainment and news media all of that is where demons operate And it's where a lot of you find your temptation and your torment. 
So for those of you who don't identify with tormenting emotions, with debilitating temptations, praise God. Don't judge those who do. I know it firsthand, and it's from hell. They're not crazy. There are exterior voices speaking in the mind and heart of people trying to get them to believe and do hideously wicked things, either toward God or other people or themselves. If you don't identify with what I'm talking about, please don't criticize or deny those who say they suffer from it. It's very real. If you are one here this morning and you suffer from debilitating emotions or tormenting temptations or spiritual events, if you've never come to Jesus, I have some very, very good news for you this morning. Jesus has all authority over this stuff, and you can be free. You can be completely free. It may have happened to you from the time you were the very youngest child. You're like, this is who I am. It's how it is. It's in my family. It's just what it is. No, it's not what it is. Jesus can stop it. Jesus can set you free. You can come to him for salvation and deliverance, but you have to come in repentance. You have to be willing to renounce your sin and the lies you have been believing that have given those evil things access in the first place. You have to repent of your sin, your actions and your words and your beliefs that are giving that thing place in your heart or your mind or your life or your body, whatever it is, you have to repent. We have to close the doors that they are accessing. I don't mean you're going to be completely sinless. First John says, if you claim to be without sin, you're lying. None of us are trying to be perfect. We are trying to be repentant in front of Jesus. There's a difference between a sinner and a hypocrite. I admit I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. A hypocrite knows I'm sinning and I'm hiding it trying to look good. Hello? So when I say you come in repentance, I don't mean that I expect you to not screw up again. I expect that you probably will. But you intend with all the intention of your heart, I want to be free from this. I hate it. I'm done. I'm tired of making stupid, irrational decisions that I didn't want to make in the first place and I go blank in my mind and I just do it. You can be free. But you have to come in repentance. You have to confess that I am wrong in my actions and my words and my beliefs. Jesus, please set me free. Please stop the torment. We're all going to have down days or questions about well does so and so like us but you do not have to live with debilitating self-hatred you don't have to live with crippling depression with social anxiety that you're terrified to leave your front door you don't have to live with suicidal thoughts it's a lie it is a lie you have to forgive absolutely everyone you have to forgive God says unforgiveness is the only thing that can keep you out of his presence. And if you're not on God's turf, you are free game for these things. If you refuse to forgive, you are absolutely open season on these evil things. They will eat you for lunch. Those of you who have been consumed with hatred, 
you know it is from hell and it is it will destroy your life it is an open gate of hell you must forgive everyone we must embrace the word of god in faith over anything else that you think or believe or feel the feelings may be super strong you may have totally convinced yourself in years or decades of believing these lies that it's true that nobody loves you, that you have no value, that I'm always going to be addicted to this thing. Any thought or feeling about yourself or God or anyone else that contradicts the commands and promises of God, break it off. You look at the scripture and you see what God has commanded and you see what he has promised and you say, yes. You say yes to his commands and you say yes to his promises. His commands are what he expects you to do. His promises are what he says he will do for you. Say yes. No matter how strong you feel to the contrary. No matter how impossible it seems, you can be free. His word is more true than anything you feel. You may be totally convinced that nobody loves you, that you need to divorce, that you need to kill yourself, that you're always going to be this way. I don't know why. I'm just always returning to this bad habit. God's word is more true. One of the lies you may believe is that you've sinned so much that God is tired of you, that he's done forgiving you. That is a lie. He never, ever fails. He never quits. He never gives up. I guarantee you none of you have outsinned me. I got to the point where I was sure God was done with me. While I'm a pastor, I am sure God is done with me. And I'm standing up at the pulpit preaching to you about faith and obedience and forgiveness because I needed to hear it. Because I was certain God was done. I had screwed up for the last time and he was, I was going to die and go to hell. He will not quit on you. You're not unforgivable. It's a lie. I said you're not unforgivable. Embrace with faith the Word of God. No matter how much it contradicts what you feel so strongly. Say, yes, God, your Word is true. You gave Jesus for me. I have value. I have hope. I have healing. This physical problem is not forever. This emotional problem is not forever. The spiritual attack is not forever. It's you're going to set me free. Break off the lies that are strongholds in your mind and that demon will run squealing for its life. Believe that Jesus has all authority and power over demons and that you are safe in him and that he has given you authority over your tormentors in his name. You don't need to know anything. Just shut up and get out of here. That's all you need to know. There's no magical incantation. If you've honestly repented and you're not intentionally hiding sin, you have every right to command that thing to get. Leave me alone and let me sleep. Let me have peace of mind without being consumed about alcohol or naked women or money or anger or whatever it is that's your thing. Shut up and get out of here!
Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you have all authority over unclean spirits, that we are not subject to torment because we are in you. We have been purchased with your blood. We belong to you. You own us. And we are off limits to these trespassers. In the name of Jesus Christ, I speak grace and peace to every person in this room, to every mind or heart or body that is in torment. I bless them in Jesus' name. I speak peace and freedom. Freedom in Jesus Christ. Lord, we refuse to live in the status quo, just barely getting by with crippling anxiety or fear or temptation and lust and addiction, tormented in sleep. We refuse it in Jesus' name. And I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, you be quiet and you go. Every spirit that does not bow to the name of Jesus Christ must leave this room and every person now and forever. You have no right here. Lord, we repent of our sin. We embrace forgiveness from our heart, was your word. We embrace forgiveness from our heart. Lord, we renounce our activities that have opened the doors for unclean spirits sins and occultic activity and playing around with movies and video games, Lord, that have opened up our hearts to terror. We renounce it in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you for forgiving us. Lord, there is nowhere to put any blame but on ourselves. We confess that we have been wrong and we give it to you. We take it to the cross and we lay it down. And we're washed in the blood and we are clean and we're forgiven and we're free.